If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back to the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. We're currently uh, beginning a series on the book of Revelation. And so we uh, wanted to share that podcast here with you. Uh, we will go through various sections and deal with some of the symbolism and apocalyptic language that appears in this great book. Uh, it has been presented to a class on Wednesday mornings at the Somerdale Church of Christ. And so uh, if you get this podcast and you listen to it, you live in the local area and you want to come be a part of the class, you're welcome to do that. Or you can email me if you've got some questions and I'll try to help you as best as I can. Now, I do not claim to be an expert on the book of Revelation, but I love studying and love presenting messages from God's Word. So I hope that this lesson will continue to encourage you and bless you as you serve God. excited about this. I do want to say we're not going to do verse by verse. We'll take it section at a time. Um, because if we did verse by verse, 22 chapters could take us 22 to 30 weeks. So my goal is to try to finish within about eight weeks. And we'll do that by basically in the workbook, there are five sections in this. So we want to do our introduction. We'll take our time through the letters, chapter one, two, and three. And as we get through the letters, then we will focus on some of the main highlights, like the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. And I want to, as a matter of introduction today, uh, kind of share some things as we get started, things that maybe will help us interpret the book a little bit better. And I want to start with the first three verses of Revelation. And I will say this too, um, I mentioned this during our Wednesday night class back last year when I taught one lesson on it, or maybe two lessons on Revelation. It is Revelation, it is one continual revelation from John, um, it's not Revelations, and sometimes people say Revelations, I'm not going to you know, smack you down for that, but, uh, but it, is, it is one continual revelation from John, and this is how the letter begins. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. If you got a pen or a pencil, you might want to underline that in your Bible. And he sent and signified it by his angel and his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all the things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time 
is near. Now, you might want to underline that too. The time is near. You're going to find these first, at least in the first chapter, several times that John says, this is for the immediate audience. The, if you learn nothing else about Revelation, it was not written to the church at Somerdale. It was written to the seven churches of Asia. Now, there's application we could take from it, the same as we do Ephesians or Thessalonians, any other book in the Bible. Uh, but it was not intended primarily for a futuristic viewpoint. It was meant for an immediate foretelling of what would happen to these seven congregations and to the nation of Israel and Christianity underneath the Roman Empire. And I think, as we'll get later on, I think John is, through prophecy, saying that there would be a change in the way religion was seen in the world because it would become part of the government. And this goes to the history of the Roman Catholic Church, which is another part of this that we'll study when we get there. But I call this behind the veil because I used to call it unveiled because revelation means an unveiling. You know, you have something and you pull it back, that's you're revealing it. This is behind the veil. So you're gonna, we're going to get a peek because of John into... The mind of God into the view of heaven. We don't have any other book that does this. There's a few that briefly hint on it. Isaiah has a couple visions. Daniel, other prophets have visions of what God's doing behind the scenes. But we actually get to pull back the veil and see behind. So my, my sons love theater. All three of them have been in theater. Uh, Isaac's got a play coming up, Freaky Friday, at Foley Civic Center. And... Sometimes on the plays, they rotate characters, and he'll be behind the scenes. And when he's behind the scenes, he'll tell us, you don't need to come. You don't need to come watch it. You don't need to support it because I'm not there. And so I'm coming to support the rest of the theater department, too, so we'll pay for tickets and go. But what's really neat is whenever the lights go down and they're changing scenery, I get to see him moving stuff around. And that's what John's showing is he's pulling back the veil a little bit and saying, let's look at what God's up to. And, and if you can see a little bit of a glimpse behind the veil, you know that it's not happening by accident. That everything that happens, God is aware of. He's not shocked. You know, God did not uh, wake up for the morning news on Monday and go, oh no, there's been another shooting. You know, He, didn't, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, get woke up by a prayer on a Friday night for tornadoes running through Mississippi. He, that's not, he knows all things, including both the future and future that can be changed. So that, to me, my little human mind, just I don't understand how God can see the end of time, but also see things that can alter that ending uh, and orchestrate it all according to his will. And even when we mess up something that's supposed to end a certain way, he works with it. Remember that he had promised through David to bring the lineage that would bring him to Christ. So David already had children, but he messes up with Bathsheba. And so what God does is he, that's not what he wanted. He did not want Uriah killed. He didn't want him to have a, 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 commit an adulterous relationship. But what God did is he blessed through David, Solomon, who became extremely wise and who brought the lineage to Christ. Because Solomon is uh, in the same family tree. So it, it, God is not, there's nothing that happens by mistake. 
And so John just kind of opens the curtain a little bit, says, let's just kind of let's just kind of look in here. Jesus invites him to see a lot of things. And in doing this, uh, there are going to be some colors that John has to describe with what earthly things he knows about those colors. Uh, He's going to describe the streets. He's going to describe the walls. He's going to describe the dwellings. He's going to describe the animals. And that's another one. Yes, there are animals in heaven. He describes the nations that are there, the races that are present, the past religions like Judaism that are there. And and so we get this great glimpse of how God is working things according to his will to reach us to heaven, to the eternity. And it's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. You know, uh, I told you a few weeks ago that I had actually started the study of this on my own. And somehow or another, whenever I just was reading this first chapter, it's like I missed all of that. You know, yeah. it's like I didn't, I didn't get it. So when I, I, I did it like last Wednesday after I got home, mm-hmm. I read it. And then I read it again yesterday. And I was like, just that first part right there, I was right. like, man, I feel like I'm in a drive-in movie. Yeah. And I get to see things that yeah. nobody else gets to see. That's like right. The, you know, preview <clears throat> of what's going to happen right. in the next program. And that just made me feel comforting yeah. to know that, yeah, God's in control. It's not with all the stuff that's going on. Right. Well, I used to like getting DVDs and Blu-rays because they had bloopers and behind-the-scenes yeah, reels, yeah, yeah. especially on the movies that were uh, based on a true story, mm-hmm. is that you kind of get to pause the movie at the end and go to the, the behind-the-scenes and they interview the characters, and whether it's The Blind Side or Remember the Titans. I'm using football movies, but you know there are a whole lot more than that. Uh, I think one of my favorites, which was a Disney movie, uh, is the the one with uh, Mark Wahlberg. I think I don't remember was it Unbreakable or something like that. Anyways, he's the football player for the Eagles, and I like those because then they interview the, the players and the and the parents and the coaches and the siblings and the, so forth. There's another one, um, Radio, with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And again, these are football movies. I love football, but any time that we get glimpsed, Pearl Harbor. I, I remember going yeah. to see Pearl Harbor yeah. in theaters. There's some immorality in the movie, but that was the first, well, as an adult, <laughs> that's the first time I remember leaving a theater in tears. Mm-hmm. And, and I, the reason why I cried was not just because the movie was emotional, but because as I left the theater, there were veterans that were coming out in tears. Mm-hmm. And when you see those men who fought those battles come out of the theater, you know, saying this was extremely realistic. You know, I just, I wept. Um, but this is, this is what we get. We get the behind the scenes footage and we don't get everything. And there are times that John gets so overwhelmed, he falls down at the foot of the angel. And he's like, oh, and the angel says, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a fellow laborer like you. We're just all servants. You need to get up. Don't, don't worship me. But John clearly is identified as the one who bore witness to the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ. He is the brother of James, who was the first Christian martyr, which makes you wonder if he peered in through the veil and saw the martyrs, if he saw his brother among them. Pretty neat. 
Uh, he also wrote some other epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, of course the Gospel of John. Most of it was written to, uh, to the Ephesians. Uh, in your notebook, I also put uh, that his authorship supported by Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, uh, Origen, and others. So there's no question that he wrote this book and that John's intention was to provide some encouragement to seven congregations that were going through unbelievable persecution. Uh, as for the nature of the book, it's called the unveiling or the uncovering. What is revealed, and it's meant to reveal. It is not to conceal. It's not to hide. His, his goal is to show you God is at work. He never stops working. He never, when he rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he went, oh man, I'm tired. You know, I, I, I go out and I work in my shop sometimes when I have a day off or if I have an evening with just a couple hours, I'll go out and work and I will get completely physically and mentally exhausted. And I have a bruise right now on my ankle. I don't even know how I got it. You know, I was out there working and I got this big old bruise. I didn't see last night. She's like, where'd that come from? I, said, I have no idea. But it's got the skin knocked off of it, so I must have hit something. And, uh, but I get out there and I work and, uh, and I enjoy it in what time that I have. And so this unveiling, this uncovering is meant not to conceal but to reveal to us God is working all the time. He doesn't need a day of rest. The day of rest was meant to allow us to have an excuse, if you want to call it an excuse, to pause and say, I need to just rest for a moment. And then also a day to give glory to God throughout the rest of the week. We stop and say, thank you, Lord. So there's some different interpretations. Uh, and I've, I identify these in the book, so I won't go into a lot of detail. One is the Praetorist viewpoint, which is, for lack of a better way to explain it, this is the way I view the book. Uh, it basically means that all of the events up to the last couple chapters, uh, all, of the, all of the events of Revelation have already happened. So uh, if you come to me and you say, hey, is it possible that uh, the bowl that damaged or killed um, you know, millions of people, is that COVID? I'm going to say no. If you say, well, what about when described of this uh, battle of Armageddon, as this where Russia and China are joining forces, which, by the way, I hate to get political, but there was a, a very, very important thing that happened uh, through the weekend that we probably didn't hear about. And that is that there is a group, like we have uh, NATO and all these other groups of uh, nations. We have the, the um, where they get together with the eight nations or the seven nations and so forth. Well, right now what's going on over there is China and Russia are working together to ensure that they have a monopoly on all oil. Saudi Arabia and Iran are arch enemies. If you don't believe that, one is Sunni and one is Shia. They signed a peace accord this weekend. Do you know who brokered the peace accord? China. And you know why China did that? Because they're going to replace the money to be purchased for all that oil with the yen. The American dollar will not be used for currency in the Middle East, which means China has a monopoly on the, the, all the oil. And they then monopolize because they have the yen, which makes their, the value of their dollar more. 
And they're going to join uh, several nations, uh, like with Iran as one. They're going to join all these other nations to say, we're going to help develop this new economy. And this has been in the works since 45, to be honest. But they're working towards getting these nations together to be against America. That's the whole gist of it. They want a different dollar. They want a different standard. They want us to have a different military. They can move their uh, nukes around and there's nothing we can do. Because of who are we going to cry to? Yes. We can cry to Britain. We can call Australia. You know, we, we're, we're, we're becoming singled out as a loan. Yeah. And when we decrease our military... And we keep printing money, we devalue our currency, all it does is empower that side. And so there is a shift, and we've seen it over the last 20, 30 years, but there's a shift. They own most of our debt, so they can put pressure on us. They can, they can, they can actually control the trade around us. We talk about sanctions. They can sanction us, and if the Chinese and the Russians decide to sanction us, it would be devastating to our economy. But we think we're too big to fail. And, and so when we have political leaders in our government that say, hey, we need to be helping China and we need to be going and working this out with Russia, they've been working on a game plan. They've been working on it. Socialism has been working on it since you know, for a long time, and they have gotten into our schools and into our government, and this is their goal. Now, I say that not to be political. What I'm saying is people will listen to all that and say, oh, my goodness, well, then that means that the sixth bowl or the seventh seal is being opened. And I'm telling you, that has nothing to do with it. it I do believe that it sets up an end-time scenario. Uh, but these views, these, these things that are listed in here are not meant to pinpoint you. Like if you read locusts in the Bible, that's not Apache helicopters. If you read about armies and militaries that are rising up in Armageddon or in Megiddo, there may be a battle that takes place there. But that does not mean that it is a direct fulfillment of something in Revelation. It is something terrible that's happening, but we don't have a uh, we don't have a specific season to look to. Jesus Himself said that the Father alone knows the time. He says it'll happen like a thief in the night. He tells His disciples, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Time's important. You know, I need to know time. Like what time's my doctor's appointment? What time's church? You know, what times?" That seasons are also helpful because if you don't know the exact time, you can at least know the season. You say, well, this is going to happen in the fall of the year. And Jesus is saying, you won't know that. You won't know the times and seasons. It's not for you to know that. You don't need to. Do I believe Jesus is coming back soon? I do. I do believe that. I think there's too much evil in the world. We've had evil always, but I think it's getting to a point now where if you were the, if you were the parent of this world, would you step in? You know, he's the creator. There's a lot of wickedness. When you can't even tell from the basic first thing in creation, the difference between a man and a woman, yeah. uh, where our world is, yeah. is insane. So I do believe that it's possible he, 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 Jesus could come in my lifetime. I hope he does. I'm praying for that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there is nothing here within these few chapters that tell us exact one, two, three scenario. Because when Russia does this, then China will do that. And when Iran does this, then we'll do that. That's not, Revelation was not meant to be some kind of a treasure map where you're able to pinpoint and predict. If that were the case, John would not have done it so cryptically. The reason why he uses cryptic code and symbolism is because he knew his readers had read their Old Testament. 
And so when he talks about the 144,000, or when he talks about um, uh, the certain uh, elements, which he calls, you know, uh, gold and emerald and all that, these are references to Old Testament stories that their audience would have known. You and I, we have to sit here, we've got to scratch our heads. I don't really know what, he's, what he means. The book was not written to you. It's not meant for you to sit down and figure out all that code. The gist of the book and why it's in our Bible is so that we see that he delivered these seven congregations. And if he delivered Ephesus, he will deliver us. And then the last part of it is to recognize there is a great white throne judgment when he will punish the wicked. So, um, so I, I have a praetorist viewpoint. Uh, there's also people that are historists or historicists. Uh, their historical viewpoint that um, they see that it happens throughout history. Uh, you could predict the rise and fall of Catholicism, Islam, Protestant Reformation uh, that ends with the return of Christ. There's a futurist viewpoint. These are people that are um, premillennial, people that are postmillennial. Since World War II, there's not a lot of postmillennials today. Postmillennialism is that there would be all this peace and and then, and after World War II, they said that's not going to happen. So there's not a lot of post-millennialists. There's the idealist view, and that is that it's not ideal with any specific situation, but it just enforces a principle that good is going to triumph over evil, so it's valuable, but um, there's not really a need to study it today. I think there is. I think there's a lot of good reasons to study it. And then the eclectic view is basically you just take whatever you want and project it onto the text, which... We obviously would not want to do. One of the other things that people talk about Revelation is they talk about the. Um, uh, we'll talk about the millennium. Like when it says the thousand year reign of Christ, what does that mean? So there are various views on this, and I will I will highlight this when we get to to the section uh, specifically when we get to chapter twenty. To, to reference what these mean. But there are people who are uh, premillennial, and that is that Jesus will reign for a thousand years before, or some say after uh, the second coming. These people believe in the rapture, which is not biblical. There's no biblical term for that. Uh, and then there's amillennials, which I will tell you that's where I am. I believe that it does not matter. I think the millennial term is a uh, symbolic term. When we look at the Old Testament, there's a psalm that says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, that thousand and one hill belongs to somebody else, right? What about the thousand thirty-second hill? Does he still own that one? So when it says a thousand hills, it's meant to be uh, dramatic. Okay, I'll give you a re- I'll give you an example. How many of you had children? Okay. I have told you for the 1,000th time. <laughs> have you really told them a 1,000th time? No. I've told you a 100 times today. Have you really told them a 100 times? No, it's dramatic emphasis. So don't, don't panic when you see that term. It's not like... It's not, and you know, I thought Jesus was going to reign on the throne forever. So why would it just be a 1,000 years? Mm-hmm. It's meant to be just a term to kind of throw out a big number. If it was specific, it would have said, like when it comes to Daniel, the 77s, or things like that. If it's specific, it would tell you to the date. Uh, it talks about the 400 years of captivity. Things like that. Those are specific dates. 
So 1,000 uh, is just a big number to kind of throw out there. So the early church specifically mentions the seven churches uh, in not only this book, but other books. We know about Ephesus. We know about Laodicea. Uh, we know about um, uh, uh, Sardis. We know a lot of these cities from other places in, in other New Testament books. But the application just simply is what John says it is in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. It was meant to be read for those who were going to go through it. They went through it. Um, and I will say, this is the way I explain it. And this, this, I know this offends some people, but I'm going to tell you how I explain it. And you can use this when you talk to people. Do you believe that Jesus keeps his promises? Do you believe that God is not mocked? Do you believe that God is not a liar? Yes. Okay. If this book was meant for a future interpretation for you, then why would he say to seven congregations, which no longer exist, by the way, I'm coming to rescue you? Because if his prophecy, his promise is to these seven churches, I'm going to come reference you. I'm going to come and save you. I'm going to give you a crown of life. I'm going to just hang in there ten days. You know, If those things that Jesus said to these seven churches were meant for us to be sitting around figuring out which pawn is China and Iran, then the promise that Jesus made to the church at Ephesus was not for those elders and congregational members. But for their great, 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 This doesn't make any sense. If we know anything about Jesus, it is that he is compassionate and loving and he keeps his promises. So if Revelation is meant to be interpreted today for its signs and symbols, Jesus is a liar. That doesn't sit well, does it? And Jesus doesn't lie. So Revelation was not written for us to set around and interpret signs and symbols. It was written for them to interpret signs and symbols. And to show, because, you know, another thing too, why didn't John just come out and say, look, the Roman Emperor Nero was a tyrant, but you wait until the next one. You know, if you, if you, if he said that, where is John when he writes this? He's on the island of Patmos. We're going to get there, but he's in exile. By the Roman government. He is the last surviving apostle. He has outlived his family. He has outlived all the elders of the church. He's outlived all the apostles. He's outlived his brother. He's the only one that hasn't suffered of martyrdom at this point. Everybody else, some of them have died 20, 30, 40 years before this. He's on an island where the, the emperor basically says, you're going to sit here and rot until you die. And I don't, want, I don't want to hear another word from you. And John goes, Really? 22 chapters. <laughs> you know, John, John writes this in exile, and he says, y'all need to be aware of the ten crowns and the ten hills, which is representative of Rome, by the way. And you need to be careful of the dragon and the serpents. Why wouldn't he just come out and say, Caesar's evil? Why didn't he just come out and say, the Romans are going to kill you and your children? Why didn't he just say uh, to the church at Ephesus, uh, you're going to fade out and die faster than the other six congregations? Because he wants them to determine their own destiny. 
and he's giving them the, the, the points to go and read. It's kind of like a cross-reference. If you see on the screen where I say, you know, 17, 7 through 13, that's Revelation 17. That's a cross-reference. If you want to open your Bible, you'll find that. Instead of saying you'll find it in the book of Ezekiel, he just talks about the little scroll that's eaten. Now, if you've read your Bible, you know that story's been told before. Uh, parables, a lot of the parables were told in the Old Testament. Jesus is drawing out. The, the cross is a great example. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I've heard preachers say, well, you know, God had to turn his back on Jesus because he was so full of sin. And he was, no, he's quoting Psalm 22, which if you keep reading, he says, I'm surrounded by dogs. They've cast my clothing. They've divided my garments. They're, they're persecuting me. They're screaming at me. They're howling at me. They've pierced my hands. They've pierced my side. They've put a crown on my head. You know, I mean, he's giving the description of the cross. So Jesus is preaching but because of the exhaustion of being on the cross for six hours and being beaten nearly to death, he only gets out the first verse. And anybody, if, I, if, I'm, if I am standing up before you and I say, God so loved the world, and that's all I say. God so loved the world. What's the rest of it? See, we know that because we know that it's a Bible verse. Anybody in the presence of Jesus on the cross who heard, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is Psalm 22. And you've read part of it, and it's because it's next to Psalm 23, which is the most familiar and most popular psalm ever written. Yeah, Diane? Um, why do you suppose the rest, the rest of the Bible was written and the books were put in there as instruction for us on how to live and the things that Jesus said for us to do? Why do you right. suppose Revelation was chosen as the last book in the Bible speaking to people of that time? That's a great question. I think the reason why Revelation is the bookend is, first of all, because it was the last one written of everything. <clears throat> it was written, uh, of course, I had the dates on here, but it was probably written in the 90s. Yeah. So it would have been the last book written. The other thing is, uh, the way John ends the book is a perfect bookend of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, it's asking him to come. The generation for at least, at least 100 years after it was written would be digging. Researching, And so I think for us, it is to show that there will be a final judgment. I think from 20 on, 2021, 22, are meant to show us that Jesus is coming back. And that he did not come back physically in AD 70. Whereas some people will say, this is proof that maybe he came back when he destroyed Jerusalem. Um, I don't think Jesus came back physically at that time. Uh, and also for the same reason that... How many of you have read through the Bible in your life, or at least most of it? Um, do you ever have like that moment where you, you're sitting there and you go, I need some encouragement today. I want to read the book of Leviticus. Oh. <laughs> no? No. All right. I want my spirits lifted. I want to be able to be really, I want to have a great day. I'm going to start with a reading of Ezekiel. You're not going to do that. Even though those books are meant for that audience, uh, it's kind of like Song of Solomon. It's in the Bible, but I don't want my 10-year-old reading it. You know? uh, there are reasons why books are placed where they're placed, and I think that's the reason, is it's meant to show John saying, hey, look, before y'all get panicked about everything happening in the world, God's got control. He's going to win. 
Jesus is going to win. It also emphasizes what he wrote in the Gospel of John. Remember the statement that's echoed early on in John 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Probably the first book John wrote, Gospel of John. And he ends with the Lamb of God is victorious. So John is, this is like, these five books are his legacy. They're his legacy. So I hope that helps. I do think that we shouldn't get all tangled up and twisted and worried about the details of it. Um, but isn't it funny how many people, and I, I'm talking about people in the church, in my existence as a member of the church, the women especially that have freaked out over the idea of you studying revelations. Right, right. Because they, I guess they thought, or in right. their mind, this was about us. Right. And I think that, that we wouldn't even think that if it were not for false teachers that have influenced us to believe that. And I'll tell you why they do that is because uh, I, being a preacher for 27 years and I've been raised in the church, we have a lot of preachers that have huge egos. And outside of our fellowship, it is much worse. Uh, you know, the, it is all about name recognition. It's about money. It's about influence. It's about listeners and viewers and having how many people do you have in your congregation and how many, how many books have you sold and stuff. This little book is probably going to be like five bucks, and the only reason is because we put so much time into it. Um, but some of the other study guides I have are free. Most of them are free, or they're a dollar or two dollars just to be able to kind of just throw it out there. But I'm not out here selling a commentary on Revelation for $40. Not that I don't think it could be valuable, and I don't think I think it's worth that. But the fact is, some people, in order to have power and influence, they have to convince you that they're the only ones who have the answer. So if I get up and say, we really need to understand Revelation, and I can teach you, I can tell you exactly what you need to, to, to determine it, then I can control the players in the book. It's like, it's like the game. It's a stacked deck. He's already, a lot of pastors have already stacked the deck. And they're using, when, when there's something that happens, like for instance, the gun violence has happened this week. Or, or uh, what's happening in, in, in Ukraine. There will be preachers that will get up in the pulpit and say, well, you know, Revelation tells us that. And they will use that as a fear tactic. And they will also use that as a power play. Because they do not want you to study the Bible on your own. Because if you do, you don't need them. You don't need the preacher to tell you. And I'm telling you, you don't need me. You don't need the preacher. You, you, you should be able to. You can. Don't let somebody tell you you can't understand the Bible. You absolutely can understand the Bible. You don't need a preacher to tell. That's great in, a Revel, or in Romans chapter 10. You know, beautiful defeat those who carry the gospel because we need a preacher to deliver it. But you can learn as much, if not more, from sitting down with your Bible on a Saturday morning for a couple hours then listen to me for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Because you are picking a subject that you're interested in, a book that you're familiar with, a Bible that you handle every day, and you're digging into a text to find an answer that is applicable to you. Not always on Sundays or Wednesdays are we going to have the message that is directly to me. There'll be times that I'll preach something and people go, man, you really hit me today. I had somebody call me Sunday. You really knew what I was dealing with this week. I didn't know what you were dealing with this week. Um, and I would never intentionally preach a sermon at one person. Just know that. I, I wouldn't want to do that. That's, that's, uh, uh, that's petty is what it is, petty. So um, 
Uh, and the other thing is, I always tell when people say, well, you're preaching that right at me, they're like, wow, you got quite an ego to think that I spent my whole week thinking about you. But, um, <laughs> but the idea is that some preachers want the power and the influence. And so they will convince you you don't know. You don't know. And that, that happens in pulpits all over the place. You, you need, what you need to do is you need to buy my book or you need to set at my feet. And that's why I like us having so many Bible studies throughout the week, is we can contribute. You ask questions, I ask questions. And you know, I had two guys here studying with me yesterday for a little over an hour. And uh, I told them, they asked me some questions. I said, I don't, have, I don't have an answer for you on that, so I'll have to write it down. Same thing, I asked them some questions. We don't have an answer for that. So wouldn't that great that we can sit down and say, I don't know, and let's study and find an answer together? So... Um, Anyway, how are we on time? Time is gone. Are you serious? Um, okay, so just real quick, the date of the book, I think it was written sometime in the 90s. Uh, some people will give it an early date. It could have been predicting the fall of Jerusalem. I do not think that's the case. It's pretty clear to me that that's already happened. The purpose is things which must shortly come to pass. And so the judgment was designed to... To, as a warning against the harlot and the beast, which I believe to be the Roman Empire and the synagogue of Satan is referencing the Jews um, and the persecution from both sides. And the key verse is Revelation 17, 14. These, things, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen, called, chosen, and faithful. That's the, that's the whole point. So... Uh, in your in your little notebook, you've got an outline that kind of shows you how far we'll go. And next week, we're going to talk about some of this apocalyptic language that's used and why John is so cryptic. Why he can't just come out and say, you know, I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. People use all these, just tell me, you know, just tell, don't, just, 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 just tell me what I need to know. But John can't do that. Because if he did, he would have been put to death immediately. He's trying to warn these congregations. That's why he's talking to those that had suffered martyrdom. And specifically, some of their martyrs, John actually sees in the next few chapters. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.